of the Friday, June 4th edition of the Clemson Dubcast 2021. Man, I feel kind of guilty right now because I actually have time to to interview and record, uh, cut a podcast, whereas our man Paul Strelo is killing it over at Dabo Sweeney's Clemson camp. There's tons and tons of information that only he can provide. He is the best in the business at covering Clemson recruiting. So if you already aren't at TigerIllustrated.com, go there right now because there's a wealth of information and insight that you can't get anywhere else. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, to our interview, Brett Jensen, who formerly on the Clemson beat used to antagonize Tommy Bowden and others. I say that semi-jokingly. Now he's antagonizing North Carolina's governor. More on that in this interview. Always fun stuff with Brett. Here we go. All right, joined by my friend Brett Jensen. Brett, what are you stirring up now, man? Larry, you know I don't do stuff like that. What are you talking about, buddy? I, I'm sorry. I, I, somebody sent me, I guess it was uh, Philip Sykes. You remember him from Clemson, sports information guy? Yep. He sent Late last night, he sent me the, the, the little video exchange between you and North Carolina's governor. And I'm like, man, that is just, that is classic Brett in a good way, taking somebody to task for, particularly an elected official, to task. Uh, for uh, for not being, I guess, uh, <clears throat> open to, to scrutiny. Can you – I know you and I talked about this several months ago. You shared with me that that you were having problems basically being ignored at press conferences, not being – press conferences, not being called on and such. Can you give maybe a, uh, a Cliff's Notes on, on the story here, like, like what like, – like the background? Yeah, and you know it's a little convoluted, but yeah, we'll make it as simple as possible. So, 
I work for WBT Radio here in Charlotte. It's one of the oldest radio stations in the entire country. Uh, as a matter of fact, we celebrate a 100th anniversary la- uh, next year. And just to take a listeners um, behind the scenes a little bit, if you ever hear of a radio station with only three letters, WBT, um, KFI out Los Angeles, WGN in Chicago, those are the oldest ones. Those are the original radio stations in America. And so we have the because we're the, one of the originals, we have the biggest um, signals, radio signals in the country. That's why you can be in Charlotte, North Carolina, or in Clemson, South Carolina, and still hear WGN Chicago at night on AM radio. And so, and we are the same way. And so, we are the biggest news radio station between Washington, D.C. and Atlanta. And we are the second biggest news station in the entire South behind WSB in Atlanta. And so, we, you know, and we've been the number one radio station uh, of any type in Charlotte for all of 2020. And so, and I'm the lead reporter. And when the pandemic started, um, Governor Cooper shut, you know, North Carolina down, just like most governors did, and shut North Carolina down in March of 2020. And I, and he started doing all his press conferences virtually, meaning we had to call in and then we were called upon. Um, as reporters, and this was all live on TV, and and we were called upon, they would say, okay, up next, Larry Williams from Tiger Illustrated, what's your question? And then you would ask your question, and it would be broadcast across all the TV stations that were carrying it. I got to ask a question in March March 24th, 2020, and it was just, it was a benign question. It was it was a really simple question about testing time, because if you remember the early days of uh, covid if you wanted to get tested, sometimes it was taking 10, 14 days oh, to get yeah. your results. And by that time, and by the time you got your results, you may have already finished all your symptoms with COVID. Yeah. You know, so it, or you may have already like survived it and passed on or to the next level. And so, so it was just turnaround testing time. It was a benign question. And that was literally the last time. And I kept calling in and calling in and calling in. And then finally, one point, I'm like, okay, am I doing something wrong here? So at one point over this last summer, I called in 30 minutes ahead of time, 30 minutes ahead of time when you're supposed to. And a recording said, you were the first person in this conference call. <laughs> and I still didn't get called on. So then I knew they were cherry picking. Yeah, That's when I knew they were cherry picking who they would pick. So they went on and I, you know, never called on me. And so I would reach out to his staff and his staff goes, Oh, I don't I don't know what's going on. And you know, a lot of people are trying to get in. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because he's literally calling on, or you people are literally picking the same people, every single press conference. So something's not right here. Why has some person asked 50 questions at this point? And I've asked one, like, what are we doing? It also did not help the fact that, our station, which is a news talk station, former governor of North Carolina, Pat McCrory, has a daily show on our or had a daily show on our station. And Pat McCrory lost by less than one percent to Roy Cooper in the 2016 election. And these two men just do not like each other. Uh, so so Cooper, Democrat, McCrory, Republican. Yes, correct. Okay. Correct. And so I don't know if that played any part into it. And they just said, you know what, Pat McCrory's on that station and we're just not going to talk to that station. And, and, I, and I, you know, and I've always said, 
Pat McCrory and or any of the talk show hosts, they never get in the news side of things. They're just talk show hosts. All they do is talk for a living. And they don't tell me or ask me about my reporting. I inform them, hey, I have something. I think this would be good. And then that's when it's broadcast on their shows or whatever. So so anyway, so we were completely independent and you're, autonomous you're, of each you're other. You're straight news. like Yeah, I'm just straight news. Yeah. All I do is politics and news. That's mm-hmm. all I do. I mean, it could be, you know, you know, a shooting, it could be a court trial, it could be a good story, it could be a bad story, but I'm just straight news. That's all I do. And even, um, but, after, but Brett, even, even if you were, I mean, it'd be one thing if McCrory were there at the press conference, you know, right? but even if you were an opinion guy, <laughs> they still need to answer your question. You still need to have a, you know, to, yeah. I, I would argue. I, I, I agree. And so... So on Wednesday, for the first time in like 440 days, Governor Cooper held his first in-person press conference in Raleigh. And that's about a two and a half hour drive from Charlotte. I was tied up working on another project, so I couldn't do it. And then Wednesday night, about six o'clock, I get an email because they send out one thing that uh, listeners may not know is that every day the governor's administration has to send out the governor's itinerary for the following day. And they send it out to all the media outlets. It's just, it was a public information and they just send it out. Here's what the itinerary is tomorrow. And then I see, lo and behold, he's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina at 12.45 PM at a vaccination clinic to promote how the state is giving away $25 gift cards. If you get your vaccine, or if you drive someone there to get their vaccine, the driver gets a $25 gift card. Dang. So I, I know I need to change businesses and go into Uber, <laughs> but, um, but so he showed up yesterday and, um, and that's when after like the CEO of this vaccination clinic was there, the mayor was there, county commissioners were there. There were, you know, I don't know, 20 media members there from all across the state. They were there. And, uh, after they did their little opening remarks and, handshaking and everything else and then um some reporters asked questions i didn't want to be the first but i also wanted to make sure i was going to get my question in so after three questions is when i asked him my question hey larry if you want to stop i can send you the audio or you can use i'm gonna, I'm, 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 gonna I'm gonna splice it into the into the podcast okay, yeah. yeah and so mm-hmm. so i mean this would be like a really good spot to put in the audio so if you want to put that in that'd be perfect Cooper, uh, I'm curious if you could explain in great detail why, despite being the largest news station between D.C. and Atlanta, despite the Charlotte Observer and the Raleigh News Observer writing massive articles about it, thousands of mentions on Twitter, and yet we have yet to be called on in your news conference um, uh, since last March, as a matter of fact, but yet some reporters have asked over 100 questions. So I'm just curious if you could explain in great detail why your staff was instructed to not call in us specifically and a couple of other media outlets. First, I'm not aware of that. Second, I had a 10-person news conference yesterday. You were welcome to come then, and you're welcome to come in the future. What about the previous 14 months? I'm not aware of So that. even though your staff was asked about it, they did not tell you about this? Because many members asked your staff about it. I said, you're, you're invited to come, and you're here now. So ask away. So, well, I, I asked, my question is, what happened in the last previous 14 months? I, I, I don't know. 
We're short on time. Do we have any other questions? Governor, yeah, talk to your staff. We don't get to the 77. And so that's the question. There you, you heard the exchange. They lasted a minute and three seconds. So, all right. The thing that sort of got me was he was missing the point with his answer saying, you're free to be here. Well, that's not the question. You were free to be on the Zoom press conferences, too. You just weren't free to ask a question. <laughs> that's exactly right. And what, and what bothered me, and it has nothing to do that, we, you know, we're like, you know, the size of us, um, it, because it, it, it would, I would probably, honestly, and I think Larry, you know me well enough. I'd probably have even a more chip on my shoulder if I worked at a very small Absolutely. Um, website going, well, wait a minute, why are we being excluded? But you're t- taking all the questions from all the big boys. Like are yep. our listeners or readers not important? And I would probably have even more of a chip on my shoulder. And so I just thought like, you know, you're a politician and no one chose, no one forced you to run for office. And so I, I carried over the mentality from sports. And it was that, look, you're a football coach making $6 million a year. You're not talking about life and death situations. This isn't the CIA. It's not state secrets. You can answer a question. And so I sort of carried that mentality into politicians even more so when I started doing news two and a half years ago because so wait a minute, no one forced you to be mayor, governor. You wanted to do this on your own. You're the one who chose to represent the people. Therefore, I think you can answer a question for the people. And when he excluded us, he excluded, you know, the largest news station in North or South Carolina. And that just did not sit well with me. And as a matter of fact, last late last fall, excuse me, early last fall, the Charlotte Observer and the Raleigh News and Observer wrote very big, extensive articles on how I'm being shut out. Mm. And so when Cooper Cooper says, I'm unaware of that, (laughs) I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. First of all, so you're telling me a major story in the two biggest newspapers in the state. You were oblivious to front page stories, mind you. And so, and then the other thing is many, many medium, and you heard me, you can maybe hear me say in the audio clip, many media outlets have contacted your staff and asked your staff about this. So you're telling me your staff just did this on their own and never once told you that the media is contacting them. So that tells me two things. And I, and if you can think of another explanation, I'd love to hear because I've asked a lot of people. I can only think of two possible explanations. Either Governor Cooper is just point blank lying to me in his answer saying he doesn't know, he hadn't heard about it, or B, his staff is doing some sort of insurrection and doing things behind his back and not telling him. Yeah, I mean, that's I can't what think he, of any. I can't think of any other possible explanations. I mean, he. it sounds like he's throwing his staff under the bus by his answer saying, I wasn't aware, but, but a realist would would conclude that he was aware and it was just he was just right. uh, there's no way he's not oh, right there's no way he's not aware from a public standpoint and what's going on with his staff and from a pr standpoint and everything else i mean so again i uh but so so yesterday um it all sort of came to a head and look it's not trying to be oh look at brett jensen or look at wbt it was just in general like i because it wasn't just us. He shut out two or three other media outlets as well. Who? And uh, he shut out the Carolina Journal, which is a pretty big um, 
it's a pretty big newsletter. I mean, it's a weekly, like it's a legitimate newspaper, a weekly newspaper. And it's very legitimate. It covers all kinds of things from agriculture to politics to legislation. I mean, it's a really big news, you know, newsletter and uh, very well established, been around for a long time. And it is right leaning. And then they cut out um, a very small but extremely good publication called the North State Journal, which is also right leaning. Um, but they do a lot of good work, but they're really small uh, in compared to the Carolina Journal. And so he shut the three of us out. And, Which, so, and, and your radio station is right leaning, right? Because y'all, y'all, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we, we we carry Rush. Well, well our our new our our talk show hosts are yes. Um, the news department is straight down the middle. Right. I mean, we have uh, we have Democrats and we have Republicans and we have independents in our newsroom. Mm-hmm. Like it is, they've never asked us what's your political affiliation. I mean, we it, we're just straight news. Again, it's it's almost like two separate entities. You've got the you know, you, you've got the the newsroom, and then you've got the talk show hosts, and we're completely separate from each other. And so, um, so yes, the, our talk show hosts are right leaning. The newsroom is is you know we try to be down the middle as possible. Well, I mean, the the common denominator is is pretty obvious <laughs> obvious here, right? With <laughs> with, uh, with with the three outlets that he's apparently shutting out, and 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 before we go any further, this is not a the last thing I want this to be as a political. Discussion. I think this discussion is about accountability. Um, you know, holding truth to power. And I, I think I speak for you as well. If you worked at a at a radio station that had, that was sort of known for its liberal commentary, and you were uh, covering a conservative governor doing the same thing, I think you would be saying the exact same thing. And I think I would be too. That the issue is accountability, not which way you lean. Right. I, I, I could not agree more. And like you said, this has nothing to do with politics. It literally doesn't. It has everything to do with your job and my job and, and what we're trying to do and the fact that you hold a public office and therefore you can be held accountable for things. And, you know, and I always say this, you know, 51 percent of the country despises Donald Trump. and 49 percent of the country voted for him. But at the same point. Donald Trump, every single news conference took questions from CNN and NBC, his two biggest adversaries in his mind. And he would still take questions from them. Well, he also berated them. <laughs> well, no, he did. <laughs> but he also took quite, but he berated everybody. But he also took, but he did, t- minus Fox News, but he did at least take questions from them. And I wasn't even afforded that opportunity. Yeah. And so, um, you know, hey, Governor Cooper, you want to take my question and then berate me afterwards? Hey, so be it. At least I asked my question. And now I've got you. Now I've got you on video and tape, not answering my question. Yeah, I mean he definitely so, comes off looking, <laughs> looking, uh, taking the loss in that situation, just perception wise. Regardless, I mean you know, uh, well, the, you know it's it's sort of like Larry. I remember there were like some times when we were covering Clemson back in the day, you know, in the two thousands, and uh, you know, fifteen years ago, and. and Something would pop up. Oh, I remember what it was. We were, we were like covering the baseball game one time, and it's just common practice. You get players and you get the coach, and you know, Lega didn't want to provide any baseball players for us one time. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait, what? Because they, they suffered a loss and they were not happy and they were all upset and they wanted to leave. And I remember that being a situation also. Yeah, win or lose. 
you know, show up and do your do what you're supposed. That's why the players I respect the respected the most over the years are the ones who showed up regardless. Yep. Taj, you weren't around for for Taj Boy, but he was that way. Trevor Lawrence, absolutely that way. Um, you know. You know who? I mean, someone that we as reporters sometimes gave a lot of criticism to, but he showed up every single time we wanted to speak to him was Will Proctor. Yeah. You know, we gave him a lot of grief oh, for man. a lot of bad things. Too much grief. But, but he still showed up every single week. And that's a lot. If, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if a 22 and 23 year old can do that, you're telling me a governor can't? A 22 or 23 year old who's not an elected official. Exactly. <laughs> who's not even, who's not getting paid. Yeah, who's not really obligated. Right. You know. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's just in any real substantial way to sit there and get grilled by reporters. Like, he's a he's a freaking college athlete. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, exactly. Well, so, I guess, continuing to sort of translate it to, to the sports realm, like, if I had, whenever I've had issues with the people I've covered, you know, whether head coach or whatever, the typical routine is, okay, you go through the communications person privately and say, okay, what what's going on here? Did I do, did I overstep my bounds? Like what, what did I, what does he think I did wrong? Whatever you hash it out that way. What, and what have those interactions been like between you and the governor's communication staff? So at one point I reached out and I knew personally his head spokesperson. I knew her personally. Nice girl, very nice girl, young. um, But I knew her personally from, her having worked in Charlotte and having been the spokesperson and media person for somebody here locally in Charlotte. And then she got that job. And I went, oh, this is great. I mean, because she and I had a really good relationship. So I had her cell phone and everything like that. So they, I wasn't getting caught on. And we'd, we'd gone, I think it was like 100, or 100 straight days I wasn't caught on. Um, I texted her and I said, all right, you know, Dory, what's the problem here? Like, wh- what's going on? Am I missing something? What's going on here? Because obviously I'm not being called on when I was the first person in the conference room and I'm still not getting called on. Like, so you're obviously not taking them in order. What's what's going on here? And she said, but I don't know. I'm not in charge of that. I, I, I don't know. And she goes, I don't think anything's going on. And I said, Dory, I, no, it's, it's brutally, painfully obvious something's going on. And she goes, well, we have a lot of callers calling. I said, yes, but when I'm the first one and I'm not getting called on, there's a problem. Because you can cherry pick who's getting asked, being able to ask the question. And then she said, but I, I will find out for you. I'll ask. I'll see what I can find out. And I never heard back. And I would send messages and emails, never heard back. And then finally, I wanted to speak to the health secretary of North Carolina. And I said, well, I said, since I said, I said, assuming I'm still banned for talking to the governor, am I allowed to talk to the health secretary? And she never responded to that either, other than sending um, the health secretary's PR person's email. That was it. Mm. And so I, you know, and when other media outlets would contact them, they would literally say the same thing. Yes, um, a lot of people are trying to call in. A lot of reporters are trying to call in, and it's just, you know, it's tough to get in sometimes. That was their answer. That was their answer. It's just tough to get called on. Well, it's not tough when you're literally the first person in the news or in the, in the, in the queue in the conference call. 
And so, I, so, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just painfully and uh, totally obvious that they're lying through their teeth. And, you know, Larry knows this better than a lot of people. I, I just do not like PR people. That was one of the first things I told my boss. I said, I said, I've dealt with a lot of college SIDs. Some are good, some are clowns, and I just don't have a lot of patience for them. And I said, and I told my bosses that. And then when you get like PR people literally lying, to, you know, literally lying to you, to your face, I was like, okay, this is exhibit A on why I do not like or trust PR people. What have your uh, bosses, what, what is your sort of advice from your bosses been this whole time? Have they, well, have they, have they sort of participated or tried to maybe uh, intervene at all? Or have they just left it up to you? They left it up to me because my direct bosses, I had three direct bosses. Um, none of them grew up in or are from the news industry. Like it was more talk shows and sales and stuff like that. They weren't, you know, they didn't have a news background. Um, you know, they were in charge of the station as a whole and, and other avenues. So I have three direct bosses and, the the top boss, the head boss of charge of multiple radio stations uh, in Charlotte, um, just kept saying, you know, keep after it, just just keep after it. And as a matter of fact, all of them said the same thing: just keep after it, keep after it. And um, and they knew that this was going to happen at some point. At some point, when they opened things up, whether it was two days ago in terms of press conferences or if it was next month, whenever, when they opened things up for in-person press conferences, that at some point I was going to be there and I was going to ask these questions, you know, and it, you know, and it, again, it also should be stated that, um, at least two of my bosses that I know of, and I don't know about the third, but I know of at least two of my bosses lean to the left. Mm -hmm. So this isn't a, a right or left thing. This is just, wait a minute. We're media and you're ignoring us. And so that's why I try to, I want to make sure it's explicitly clear. It's not a right or left thing. Um, because like I said, yes, we are a right talk show host station, but the newsroom is independent. And my bosses, I know of a fact for two of my three bosses actually lean to the left. So we are, like I said, as a news station, we try to be down the middle as much as we can with our news reports. So yeah, they were, but they, they just left it up to me and what I thought was best, the best way to handle it. And I let them know, hey, just so you know, Cooper's in town and I will be there tomorrow. At one comparison that comes to mind when you talk about that, that clearly defined wall between opinion and news at a, you know, I guess a right leaning, whatever, uh, news outlet or radio station is heck Fox news during the election. You know, one of the <laughs> controversial things they did was they called Arizona when, 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 when they felt it was, uh, you know, it was ready to be called. And that was, that was strictly their news division. They were serious about that, about covering the election in a, in a, in yeah. a, in a straight up way, uh, in a, in an expert way from a news standpoint. So there was clearly a wall there. And that's one of the reasons they caught so much hell because it was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. How in the world is Fox News calling an election, you know, 
Uh, and they were the first ones to call Arizona, if I'm not right. mistaken. I believe so. And here's and here's how I explain it to people who really don't, you know, maybe don't understand or fully have great knowledge of how media works. Here's exactly. I'll put it in newspaper terms. Yeah, and and I know they don't exist anymore, but people know what newspapers <laughs> yeah. used to be. Some some of the listeners do. Um, so I will use South Carolina, the state of South Carolina, as a great example. Gene Sapokoff is a great columnist and has been for decades with the Charleston Post and Courier. He writes about opinions because he is a columnist. That's all he does is give opinions. That's like the talk show host. They give opinions. But then you used to have Larry Williams, who was the Clemson beat reporter for the Charleston Post and Courier, who only gave news reports. He didn't do opinion uh, opinion pieces because he's supposed to stay unbiased as a reporter. And so that's the difference. You have your reporters and you have your columnists and one gives opinions and one gives news. And that's what we are. And, but it, you know, it's, it's easy to sit here and, and, and say, okay, yeah. <clears throat> in the last decade or decade and a half, okay. Larry Williams is supposed to be straight down the middle. <clears throat> and you have your columnist. He's clearly defined, roles between news and opinion but I, you know that's that um arrangement or standard is f- way farther back in history in my yes. opinion like i went back in, in doing research um for a couple of book couple of the books i wrote back so it required going and reading a lot of um old newspaper articles from the late 70s and, and 80s and one thing that really struck me from back then was it really was clearly defined where the beat writers were just straight news and never ventured into opinion. And it was the columnist who came in and said, okay, this coach needs to be fired or whatever. And I think one of the, one of the um, sort of unintended consequences of today's sort of um, landscape, you know, with Twitter and not just Twitter, but predating Twitter. Like, I remember when I was at the Post and Courier, I had a blog. I had, yeah. a, I had an opinion column that I would write, I don't know, maybe, I think it was maybe on Sundays or something. I would, or no, actually, it was uh, it was like a Wednesday ACC column. And in that column, I would opine. And and so now it's like everybody has a, a platform and an urge whether it's beat writer or whoever to give their take, you know, and I think oh, that's, I think that's dangerous. Correct. I think it's really dangerous because, um, it, it just gets, it, it, it complicates things for a, a guy who's supposed to be covering a beat and who's, but, and, and I, I'm just as guilty. I write opinions all the time. I'm sort of a quasi, like I'm sort of a, a hybrid of the two, I guess now doing what I do. But, um, but well, I think, no, and you're you're exactly right, Larry. And we sound like I know we sound like a bunch of dinosaurs. I get that. Um, the way back in the day with the newspapers, where people actually got the newspaper and had to wait 24 hours for the news to show up on their front doorstep. I get that. Um, but at the same point, you know, at, at least early on, there was trying to do you know maintain the separation between opinion and news, even you know, with internet and and when team websites and fan sites first started jumping up and message boards, and it really just sort of started there a little bit. And, you know, and then you had team fan websites, especially early on, that were really bad. You know, they have, a lot of them have changed in a lot of ways. And like Tiger Illustrated, you know, when they hired you and CU Tigers, when they hired me, they tried to be a little bit more neutral and a little bit more, let's put it this way, more honest about things. And so, 
um, how they weren't just going to win the championship and pick to win the ACC every single year when you knew they were going to go five and six or five and seven. So, but, but that's really, you know, the whole thing with news media, put it to you this way, ESPN is now, they have encouraged for a long time now for their anchors, for their talk show hosts, for their reporters to promote. And yeah, you know, I'm a Jets fan. Everyone knows Mike Greenberg's a Jets fan. You know, everyone knows that Michael Wilbon from the Washington Post, used to be at the Washington Post, is a Chicago Bulls and Bears fan because he grew up in Chicago. I mean, everyone knows this. So everyone knows who their team is. And Stuart Scott was Carolina. And, and so and everyone knows this now. So now the fandom has sort of it's, it's skewed it. I mean, it really has skewed. And it really, that separation, like you were just saying, almost almost doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, there's there's a little bit of separation between personal opinion and the news that you're supposed to be covering. But it, it is, especially in sports, it is skewed mightily. Yeah, there's something that, you know, I tell people, you know, because the average fan, you know, he's not supposed to be educated or informed about you know, my business and the inner workings of it. But I mean, countless times over the years, it's like, Oh, you cover Clemson. You guys are going to be good this year. You know? And I'm like, no, yeah, it's right. not, it's not you guys. That's right. You know? And they're like, I, minute, I, I don't get it. I don't get a W2 from Clemson. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, 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 wait, what? You, you don't enjoy this. You don't pull for them. And I'm like, Oh, I absolutely enjoy it. Like being around a national championship contender. That's freaking awesome. But am I sitting there in the press box going, oh, God, come on, make this game winning field goal. <laughs> there's just that, there's something that it, it's a, it's a, that I, I just couldn't ever picture myself doing that regardless of what team it is. I think part of that is during a game, you're trying to figure out what you're going to write, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, well, and I will say this. I will say this. Uh, you, you go into each season – and, it, and from a selfish standpoint as a reporter or a talk show host or whatever, whether you're on a team fan website or you're an independent entity, you want one of two things. And from a selfish reason, you either want them to be 11 and 0 or excuse me, 12 and 0, or you want them to be 0 and 12. <laughs> Because either way, it's going to generate a lot, a lot of interest and a lot of content and a lot of eyeballs. And if they're eight and four every year and they're ho-hum and they're going to the Belt Bowl or now the Duke's Mayo Bowl here in Charlotte, nobody cares. They're like, well, he's doing just enough to keep his job, but hey, great, whatever. And nobody cares. Oh, I've told people. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. So that's you. You want you want either a perfect season or a god awful season. <laughs> I've told people uh, that um, if 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 had this era not happened under Dabo, had they just continued in perpetual this this world between six and six and nine and nine and three, I'd be doing something else because that's just that's <laughs> not that is no fun uh, for to do for a decade plus. But I, I'll, I'll acknowledge this. With Clemson, the way they are right now, and playing in the ACC, which they, you know, completely destroy, you know, 99% of the time, it's gotten so routine to see them blow a team out that I, I must admit that, you know, uh, you know, it's a noon game on a Saturday in Death Valley, yeah. and there's a good 
there's a good 3.30 game that I want to catch the second <laughs> half of. I'm like, uh, I'm not saying I pull for them to <clears throat> blow them out, but when they do start to blow the other team out, I'm like, sweet, I can write my whole, <laughs> I can write my whole right. column before the game ends and be out, you know, at home or and in now, the parking now lot. You know how every, well, I was going to say, now you know how every single Florida State reporter was <laughs> in the 90s. Or how they are now, except it's the other way around. <laughs> Florida right, State's getting blown right, out. Right. Right, that's exactly right. Yeah, their game is over in the other direction by oh, halftime. Oh, man. So one other thing about Cooper that comes to mind and thinking about his response, like, so he noted that you were not at the previous day's press conference. So he, so he obviously is paying some attention. He can't, on one hand, in one breath, say, oh, I, what, I don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? And then he, didn't he say, well, you, you were free to come to the one yesterday, too. So, he, man, he was prepped on... Does that make sense? Oh, no, no. Yeah, he knew. And his answer was extremely quick. I don't know what you're talking about. I had one yesterday. You were more than welcome to come yesterday. He knew you weren't there. Right. And I immediately said, you know, I followed up. Well, that's fine. You had one yesterday. But what about the previous 14 months? <laughs> and, and the, you know, and he goes, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I said, like, well, your staff does. And uh, because they were contacted by many media outlets about this. But and I, you know, the one thing that I will take away from that, that whole exchange, um, was that at the very end, you know, when he reiterated that he had a press conference yesterday and I was free to attend and I'm free to attend in the future and that he goes, and I'm here right now. So what's your question? Ask away. I'm here right <laughs> now to not answer your question. And my, my response was. My, my immediate response, and I, you know, like just a little, you know, you know, self indulgence for a second. I was like, I thought it was pretty good, because on the spot I said, "Well, my question is, why didn't you answer my question for the last fourteen months?" <laughs> and, and then he stammered, hemmed and hawed, and then goes, "I don't know." And then, and that's, and then, then his PR people kind of cut in, and goes, "Okay, oh, I think we're, we're about done. We're about done." Oh man, what a fat L for him on that! Like just perception-wise, like you know, man. That so, did you get any communication from his staff after that? Was there any oh, aftermath, no. any fallout? Nope, nothing, nope. nothing, nothing at all. What, about, what about other media members? Uh, one media outlet came up and spoke to me about it, um, and thought that was a legitimate question, and thought I handled it well, and what they did to us was um, inappropriate. As a matter of fact. It's, it was our rival. I mean, our main wow. competition is Charlotte. Wow. Um, the NPR station. Mm -hmm. and, and actually came up to me and said, no. And I, and I know the reporter well. And he said, he used to be a newspaper person. And he said, hey, he goes, that was a legitimate question. I thought you did it, handled it very, very well by not letting him off the hook and pressing him on it. He goes, and what he did to you guys is inexcusable. Mm. And so, you know, and this is coming from, our main rival. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I thought that was good. You know, I, I, pre, I really appreciated that. So, um, and then I had the, uh, um, I had a County commissioner politician come up to me, Democrat chairman and said, what was that about? And I explained it to him and he said, yeah, that's not right. And yeah. so, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, so yeah. So the feedback, um, I saw somebody in New York, um, some news post or media outlet in New York wrote about it today. Um, and I was and someone sent it to me and said, Hey, they're talking about this in New York. Wow. I said, Oh, wow. That's, that's, 
you know, that wasn't the intention. It was just trying to literally trying to figure out in front of everyone. Okay. You shut me out in front of everyone. So now I'm going to ask you in front of everyone. It was sort of like, okay, well, this is, this is the way it goes. I'm not going to ask you privately. I'm going to, I want people to hear this. I want our listeners to hear this, why you did this. Well, I agree. I thought you handled it well. And, uh, I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, even if you're a high school newspaper reporter, you shouldn't go 14 months without getting called on. And I think a high school newspaper reporter would have been called on. And the reasons are obvious why you weren't, which are, which are the reasons are bunk, you know, by all available evidence. I'm sorry. I was going to say, to talk about the high school reporter, one of my all time favorite stories very first time I met Bobby Bowden was in October of 2000. And I was down there for the, I was down there all week covering Florida state leading up to Bowden bowl two. And it turned out to be, it was like number one versus two or two versus three, something like that. And that was the game where Clemson lost like 63 to nine or whatever it was on national TV. But I was down there all week. And the very first time I met Bobby Bowden, he's after practice sitting in his golf cart, taking questions. And there was this girl, um, very young girl, for the uh, the Florida State newspaper, who clearly didn't know much about what she was talking about, but yet she, everyone had left. Like all the grizzled, you know, seasoned veterans reporters had all left, and it was just me and this girl. And she asked questions that were just painfully obvious and not very good questions. But I mean, we all ask stupid questions when we're young and trying to figure it out. And Bobby sat right there the entire time and literally answered all her questions for like 10, 15 minutes, no matter what the subject or how ridiculous they might have been. And I just remember sitting there and, and I gained so much respect for him and like his PR people just let it go. They didn't try to cut it off. And at, that was literally the very first time I'd ever met Bobby Bowden. I immediately gained a lot of respect for him because he just sat there and answered all those questions instead of saying, oh, I've got to go. I've got to go. He took every single one. Well, and and the the late great Bob Bradley, who I never knew, I was too young to, I didn't had not come around by that point. But one of the one of the most memorable sort of tributes to him that you often hear is that it didn't matter whether you were the lead college football writer at the New York Times or Atlanta Journal Constitution or um, you know a first year reporter at the Tiger Student Newspaper. He treated everybody the same. Um, and that's uh, that's the way it should be. I agree. I absolutely agree. Because look, every single reporter starts out at some podunk paper, and or or podunk job. I mean, I mean, at least they did. We did back then. I mean, you know, but it must still do today, where you're maybe writing for a website with only you know four hundred subscriptions as opposed to four thousand subscriptions or forty thousand subscriptions or whatever. And so, I mean, we all start at the low places and we all have to work our way up and we can't get better and we can't do things if we're treated like outcasts, regardless of the size of the media outlet. And so, yeah, I mean, whether it's, you know, and and I know you've done this because I've seen you literally do this back in the day when we were all working and covering the Clemson beat. I mean, I, I, I remember when you would talk to like student people or people at smaller outlets and they would ask you questions and you would talk to them about it and say, well, this is probably the best way to do this or a good way to handle it is by doing this or whether you're dealing with interns at Tiger Illustrated. I mean, so we all, cause we've all been there. Oh yeah. We've 
all been there. We've all been in their shoes being completely clueless. <laughs> Absolutely. Completely clueless. I was clueless when I, after college, when I was still, when I was getting paid <laughs> to do it. Oh my gosh. I cringe at some of the, some of the, some I mean, the, I, I got, I got two stories about being completely clueless and, and they're both funny. Um, and one of them involves Manute Bowl. And so it was my very ever first NBA game. And I was 22 years old and I was making $20 a game as a stringer. Okay. It was the Charlotte Hornets. Manute Bowles, seven foot six um, guy from um, one of the countries in Africa. And he was an oddity. And so everyone wanted to see him and speak to him after the game. And I got on the very, very front, very, very front, right beside his locker. He's sitting in his locker with a towel draped over his legs and he's answering questions and his accent and everyone's like loving him and, and everything else. And he was great. And there's, I don't know, 15, 20 media people surrounding his locker. And I'm in the very, very front. And like I said, I'd never been in, I'd never been in a locker room before, like a high school locker room as a reporter or anything like that. So he said, okay, fellas, I appreciate it or whatever. And I'm literally four inches from him, five inches. And this seven, six man stands up unbeknownst to me he was completely naked from the waist down the towel drops it's three inches from my face is minute minute bowl um but i mean but i mean his private parts were right in my face (laughs) (laughs) and i jumped back i jumped back like whoa because i thought i was gonna hit in the nose with it and i jumped back and i ran jumped into a cameraman who then proceeded to cuss me out for jumping into his $30,000 camera. And that was the very first time I'd ever been to an NBA game. And from that moment on, I never stood directly in front. I always stood to the side. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-350. Zero seven. I was at the Masters. My first time covering the Masters. I guess it would have been two thousand or something. And I was assigned to write an article about Mike Weir. Yeah. After he finished his his round. 
uh, and I was accompanied by my sports editor took me over there from the from the from the media tent Ward Clayton from the media tent over to the uh, to the under the tree where all where all the mm-hmm. all the golfers do their post round interviews and my sports editor goes yeah you know he's the I think he said he's the only, he's the only left hander. Who's won a major or something? Had, had Weir won a major by that time? Weir won a major in 2003. And the only reason I know that is we won the Masters in 2003. The only reason I know that was because that was my first year covering the Masters and he won it. Right, but he had I, he had done something before that as of yes, 2000. Yeah, yeah, he had won like maybe the TPC or something like that, something, but not a major. Anyway, it was a – my boss just sort of offhandedly said, yeah, you know, he's the only left-hander who's done this or something. Mm-hmm. And – I'm an idiot, like I just said. Uh, and, you know, Weir's got all these Canadian reporters around him, you know, this cluster of like eight or ten reporters who, who are there to cover him. Yep. And I'm like, I butt in. I'm like, uh, Mike, did you know you're the only left-hander to have done whatever it is? I, 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 I can't remember. And he goes, yeah. It's <laughs> 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 this awkward... Oh, just, just idiotic. Anyway, those are the lessons you learn when you're when you're still learning. I guess. Well, my favorite. And this is this is the best thing that ever happened to me as a reporter. I'm not joking. So about two games after the Minute Bowl incident, I go up. It was at the beginning of the season, and I go up to Kenny Gaddison. Went to Old Dominion, longtime NBA player. He's still working in the NBA. He's either a coach or a scout or front office somewhere. He's from Wilmington. Um. Super, super nice guy. Now think about this now. I'm 22 years old and completely clueless because no one's ever told me what to do because I'm going to these games by myself. So I'm just trying to sort of watch what everyone else is doing. So I decided to go up to Kenny Gaddison, like third game of the season and say, and I'm going to interview him for like a little preview. And I say, hey, you know, and so I'm talking to him, asking him questions, whatever. Then I said, so what are your goals this year stat wise? And he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, stats, do you want to average like 15 points, 20 points, eight rebounds, nine rebounds? Cause he was a power forward. And he goes, he goes, I don't care about stats. He goes, that's a horrible question. <laughs> and I said, Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. And he goes, what's your name? And I told him and he goes, who you work for? And I told him, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I, and I said, I said, this is only my third game, whatever. And he goes, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, nothing. Why? He goes, meet me at the Bojangles at such and such place at 12 <laughs> o'clock for lunch. And I said, okay. And so I show up at Bojangles. I drive the 30 minutes, 40 minutes to the Bojangles <laughs> that he talked about. And I meet him there and there's nobody there. And we sit down for lunch at Bojangles and he gives me a tutorial on good and bad questions. Wow. As God is my witness, this happened. And I went, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and so I literally never asked another question about, well, do you want to throw for 5,000 yards <laughs> or whatever? So I never did that. That was, that was the last time I asked a player about his personal stats before the season. Uh, what do you want to accomplish? And then even, yeah. even if he did have a, a list of goals, it's not like anybody in his right mind, but going into a season would say, yep, this is what I want to do. Cause then you just put more pressure on yourself. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And then if you do it, then your teammates might think you're selfish. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So that that literally happened. And that was like 
one of the nicest things to ever happen to me as a young reporter, which goes back to the, everything that we started talking about. It shouldn't matter if I'm at the biggest media outlet in the state of North Carolina or at the smallest one-day-a-week newspaper outlet that has 2,000 readers. It shouldn't matter. If I'm at a press conference and I'm a legitimate reporter at a real media outlet, you should be able to call on me. You know, the student reporter topic got me thinking about the incident uh, this past basketball season between Coach K and the student reporter, the Duke Chronicle, I guess it was. Did you, did you, do you remember that? Did you, uh, was that something you, you... Refresh my memory. So they, they had lost, uh, Duke had lost at Louisville, I believe it was. And they had like maybe, I don't know, five day break or something like that afterward. And the student reporter comes in on the Zoom press conference and says, coach, what are your, what are your goals? Um, you know, how do you, how do you move forward from this? You know, what are your goals for the next, you know, five days or whatever what do you want to get achieved and Shashevsky uh basically said like look I'm I haven't moved on yet I'm still you know I'm I'm still on this game and he basically it was a mild lecture into it because he knew he was a student reporter and naturally with the way things are now it turned into a controversy you know, headline, clickbait headlines, Shashevsky tears into student reporter. You had all these people who were, who were just shredding Mike Shashevsky for how could he be that cruel? This poor kid, you know, he undressed him, you know, in public. And the sad thing to me about that is that, is, is that, like I said, it was a perfectly civil uh, response and exchange. There was nothing really wrong with the question. There was nothing really wrong with with Krzyzewski's, uh response. It might have been a bit luxury, a bit preachy. That's who Krzyzewski, you know. That's who uh, he is. That's who, that's who he is. He, but, does, he does that to 60-year-olds. Yeah, but the but the thing is, like, I would guarantee you that through his career at Duke, that he did that same thing, you know, pre-Twitter, pre-social media, a lot. And, it, and he's teaching those kids, right? And it and it, ends, and it ends up turning in, it ends up helping them. Um, he's sort of taking them under his wing by by being a little stern, but certainly not. He never trashed him or anything like that, you know. Um, I mean, I've seen what I think my response to it at the time, amid all the uproar over it, the needless uproar, was that look, I've seen, I've seen K, you know, act like a jackass and oh, yes. lose his mind. That is that doesn't make the friggin' top fifty. I remember, I mean, I mean, I, I, I have had this like well established into my career, like, you know, Clemson, Georgia, even up here with the Panthers when I was at foxsports.com with Panthers and Hornets and literally had John Fox, the head coach of the Panthers at the time go, that's a really stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? I don't even remember. <laughs> oh, oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. So Jake DeLome was having he was the quarterback at the time of the Panthers and he was having just a a terrible season and he had finished the previous season by having six turnovers in the playoff game against Arizona and immediately after that and they signed him to a big contract like a 20 million dollar extension or 20 million guarantee which was unheard of at the time and then he started the next season and was just dreadful had something like 15 turnovers between fumbles and interceptions in his first five games or whatever 
And the thing was, hey, are you going to go to the? Are you going to go to the backup? Are you going to go to the backup? The backup? The backup? And he goes, you know, Jake's our starting quarterback. So then we get to about game nine, ten, or eleven. It was like late in the season, and he finally made the switch to the backup quarterback Matt Moore, who's still with the Dolphins. And the Panthers won like three straight games. And I asked, I, my brilliant question was, <laughs> uh, knowing what you know now, um, do you wish you'd started Matt Moore oh, a lot boy. earlier? Oh, boy. Knowing what you know now, do you wish you would have started Matt Moore a lot earlier? That's a stupid question. <laughs> so, yeah. Even while so, no doubt he, that is in, in his mind. Oh, absolutely. Damn it, I should have done this earlier. <laughs> and, and I think I was, and I think I said, well, what is that? Is that a yes or is that a no? <laughs> and, and he said, then he gave the, you know, hindsight's 2020 answer. That's but, a, uh, dude, that is a classic Jensen response right there. Like most reporters, 95% of reporters after that's a stupid question would have just meekly like looked down at their shoelaces and, and let the press conference carry on. Jensen's like, is that a yes or no? I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I've had that happen actually quite a few. That seems to be like my go-to with politicians, especially. I mean, I mean, Larry, I'm not even joking. That happened to me two days ago, where I literally had to ask that to somebody, and I said, "I don't understand your answer. Is that a yes or is that a no? I don't. I don't understand." It's. Oh man, it's interesting. Like with, with. Uh, one of the one of the drawbacks of of everything being televised now, meaning press conferences and stuff, is that people just draw their own conclusions and create uh, adverse relationships where there aren't. Yeah. It sort of exaggerated, like the mutual friend of ours, David Hale, exactly. of ESPN.com, back in 2015 after the Georgia Tech game. You know, Clemson is. Clemson is a, a an early national championship contender, sort of not out of nowhere, but but it's a very fresh storyline, and you know they have fi- they finally have reached this elite level. And Hale's question is more, "Hey, you know, do you feel like you've sort of just totally washed away these old stereotypes?" And debunked this that Clemsoning thing, and Dabo just goes absolutely ballistic on David, and David handles it with typical grace and, um, I guess self-deprecation. Well, there are people out there who, to this day, Clemson fans probably view David Hale as the Antichrist, and they think that Dabo hates him too. You know, because of that. Well, the reality is that. They have a good relationship, and mm-hmm. that night Dabo and Dabo texted him, and they and they smoothed things over. And it, it's a the, the you know seeing the sausage made like out on YouTube. It's out you know the fact that it's out in the open. It really causes people to jump to wrong conclusions, and and to really not be aware of the fact that. You know, a reporter and a, and a person he, he or she covers, it should be, it's like a, 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 any other relationship. There's give and take and there is conflict. And, but, but if you are, if it works right, you resolve those differences and, and, and you move on. And, and, and it's just, I don't know. Well, I remember I was with David the day after that happened and 
he was, I mean, he was good with Dabo. He was good with Dabo, but he was a little distraught because of all the, the myriad of grief that he oh, was yeah. taking from Clemson fans from all over the country on Twitter and emailing him and everything else. And he was a little, I mean, he was a little rattled by it. Um, you know, I think most of us would be like, cause it wasn't just like, you know, five fans, like we're talking like hordes and mm-hmm. hordes of people. And, and you're right. I mean, people, people see the seeds put into the ground with reporters and, um, and, 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 the football coaches or the politicians or whatever, and they see it cultivated. I mean, they see it, see the, the, the produce, the produce plucked. They see all that, but they don't see everything behind the scenes and how it's nurtured and cared for and things that go on while you're trying to maintain the crop or the relationship with the coach or the politician. They only see the questions. That's all they see. And they only hear the, the answers. And so, but they don't see or hear everything else. They, a lot of times they think, Oh, well, Brett asked the question, and that's the last time they spoke. Well, no, nine times out of ten, when I turn the microphone off, I'm still talking that's to right. them, to you know, about something else, uh, either about their answer or making sure we're we're okay, or if there's any issues that they want to talk about, whatever. And so, um, so yeah, I mean that that's the thing that a lot of the fans, be it political fans or sports fans, don't understand. Yeah, any good reporter. Um, carries the relationship way beyond the formal press conference questions That's and right. answers. And so you can have a you can have a coach who says, you know, maybe Dabo maybe says to me, I I, I, don't, I don't like that question, you know. And that's a in a press conference setting, and then naturally people go crazy. Ooh, Dabo pissed at, you know, Dabo <laughs> go, Dabo goes off on Clemson reporter, and it becomes a sensation where. The reality could be, after the press conference, uh, the communications guy gets us together, and we hash it out, and after five minutes, we're totally fine, you know. I will say this. My time covering Clemson, with someone that you and I both know and respect very well and and like personally, Tim Beret, my time covering Clemson, the, and with Tommy Bowden was the head coach, and you know Tim, the SID in charge of football. They, it, it's the greatest access I've ever had, be it sports, non-sports, whatever. Do you, I mean, do you remember? And I'm sure you do, obviously. But when we could just literally walk into the football offices unannounced, walk down a hallway, see the assistant coach, wide receiver coach, Dabo Sweeney in his office, and we just pop in, and go, "Hey, you got a minute?" And he goes, "Yeah, sit down." Or, hey, I'm a little busy. Can you come back in an hour? It was, you know, and then then they finally had to outlaw that because someone was, like, doing things they shouldn't have been doing, a reporter that you and I both know, and, uh, like, eavesdropping and snooping around. And um, But but that was, like, the greatest thing. And, and fans and had no idea that we were given this great access and could just talk to these coaches and that we all that we had relationships with all the coaches, whether it was Chris Rumpf or Brad Scott or Vic Coning. It didn't matter. We had great relationships with them. Yeah, if this were, yeah, th- that kind of access is what makes the current coaches today wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> exactly I, had the, right. I just had the worst nightmare. <laughs> right, and I'm not, and I'm not talking, I'm not throwing Clemson under the bus now because nobody in the country does that anymore. No, and like, Clemson's access right. relative to everyone else is pretty good. Uh, not great, pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that had the parameters. 
and restrictions that are commonplace today been in place in 2008, October 2008, when Tommy Bowden is out and Dabo Sweeney is in, I, and probably you and others as well, who had been covering Clemson, well, let's see, I had been covering him for, uh, I guess, about five years at that point, I would have been introducing myself to Dabo in, in, in October of 2008, saying, hey, my name's Larry Williams, I'm with the Post and Courier of Charleston, instead of, hey, congrats, Dabo, happy for you. Like, we had a relationship that was built exactly. from the moment, you know, the first few weeks that I was here in January of 2004, I had gone and plopped down in his office and met him and, 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 and had developed a relationship with him. Whereas that you can't do that now. You, you know. Yeah. When he, when they won the ACC championship and, but they had lost in the national championship and I saw him the following year at ACC media days here in Charlotte. And it's the first time I'd seen Dabo honestly in person since 2008, um, because you know, I was at, in Athens and then back here in Charlotte for a long time since 2009, been in Charlotte. So I had, I literally had not seen Dabo. Well, I take the back. I had not seen Dabo since 2010, maybe it was, whatever they lost. It was Dabo's right after Dabo's first year, and he fired Billy Napier and a couple other people after they lost to uh, Skip Holtz and South did, Florida. Did you ask questions? And you, you were here. You were at that press yeah. conference, right? Yeah, I, was, I asked the one question, and Dabo, to his credit, gave a great answer to my one question that I expected a non-answer answer. Are you making changes? I, is that what is that what you? Yeah, asked? I asked him. I said so because you know the offense was so bad and everything else. And I said, "Do you expect staff changes um, coming up during the off season?" He goes, "Absolutely." <laughs> I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm like, "Really? Oh, okay, great." And then of course Billy Napier was let go, and that's when they had brought in a new offensive coordinator to have you know to be control of everything. And Dabo gave up the play calling. But uh, but yeah, it was. But so I saw Dabo at the uh, at the hotel the night before the media day started. Um, you know, dinner and everything else. And I saw him outside in the parking lot, and we probably talked for 15, 20 minutes. And I have not seen this man, God, so like I said, since twenty ten, whatever year it was. And we talked because we had developed that relationship at Clemson, and it wasn't always great. I mean, didn't always write great things. But he understood, and we respected each other, and we generally got along like he does with a lot of the media. And I told him, I said, Dabo, uh, you know, congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you personally. I, like, I'm, congratulations, you know. And um, I said, you proved a lot of people wrong. Congratulations. And, and he appreciated that. And we, you know, But like I said, I mean, I hadn't seen the man in several years. And it was like we picked up right where we left off. So, cause we were cordial. And like I said, yes, there are going to be times when he gets mad at you or got mad at me or David Hale or anybody else. And that's just the way it is. As a reporter, every once in a while, you're going to piss people off, but these are questions that you need to ask. And just because you have to ask hard questions, doesn't mean that you should be shut out from asking the questions. And on the other hand, sort of shoe on the other foot. Um, I'm covering all the appendages, the bodily appendages here, but, um, as a reporter, you know, if you criticize people, if you scrutinize people in in print or whatever for a living or over the airwaves, then you can't get butthurt when the person you cover calls you and says, hey, man, I didn't appreciate, you know, I, I thought I, I thought you went overboard with this article. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't say, how dare you question. <laughs> I, ha- right. I have to be. I mean, I can disagree. I can say I respectfully disagree, but I still have to be, I have to 
to, to be to be receptive to that to say okay I, oh, I respect your opinion. I, I truly believe with all my heart and soul. I truly believe this, and I, I'm not saying this in you know in a hyperbolic way. I truly believe this. There is no more sensitive group in the entire country than media. Yeah. How dare you question us? And it doesn't matter if it's sports or if it's CNN or Fox News or ESPN or you know Fox Sports. It doesn't matter. How dare you question us? We're the media. We're the fourth estate. We're the watchdog of America. How dare you question us in our intent? And, and you're 100% right. Like, if I went out and trashed a politician in five straight articles, should I be surprised that politician doesn't want to talk to me anymore? Of course not. I would totally get it. I mean, I wouldn't talk to somebody either. You trashed me five straight times. You know, I'd take a break from talking to you. So, yeah, the media, you can't get butthurt. I mean, if you're – but, I mean, but again, if that's assuming that you're doing opinion pieces. But if you're just doing straight news and they don't like what you wrote because you exposed something, well, that's not your fault. Right. I mean, that's – you know. So, but, yeah, there there is there's a lot of aspects to it. It's not just a clear-cut black and white you should always talk to me. You should never talk to me, whatever. I mean, it's like, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes where you have to cultivate relationships. Even if they're bad relationships, you still have to constantly work on them. There was an episode, oh man, it was probably four or five years ago here where the proliferation of just ham and egg fanboy outlets that were creden- that were being credentialed was just, it was becoming over the top and it was affecting how we the professionals did our jobs um i mean there was one creepy guy who got arrested for um sexual assault you know during this time i mean and when he was obviously creepy going in and had no reason to be credentialed but anyway we sort of collectively shared our misgivings with with the higher ups at clemson and we're told uh and this is after tim bray was gone, but we were basically said, you know, it might be helpful if you guys policed yourselves, as in when you, if you have, if you see somebody doing something stupid or unprofessional, call them out publicly. And while I do, you know, while I don't think that's a terrible idea, um, while it's, uh, I mean, it's up to the, it's up to the school to, 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 infor- to, develop and enforce their own standards. But one of the big problems, like you, you mentioned is the media and I'm speaking mainly in terms of sports media. Mm-hmm. We, we scrutinize people for a living, but we can't scrutinize other media in part because we're friends with a lot of them. Uh, and we don't want to ruffle feathers that way. And in part, because it just seems like it's kind of taboo, which that sucks. Like that's a problem. Well, and, and you're hundred percent right. And that's one of the aspects that I've actually done. I've done that for a long time where I've pissed a lot of media people off. Cause I will call media people out because I think they should be held accountable. And I've done it news wise, um, the last two and a half years, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on air, single-handedly calling people out. A lot of times I won't mention their names, but I'll mention their outlets. You know, even if I know the reporter's name, I'll say, well, a reporter with NBC local or a reporter with ABC local, whatever. Um, but I, I won't generally call them out by name, but I will tell what happened or say what happened. And I used to do that when I had my sports show here in Charlotte for three years. I would 
do the same thing. It's like, what in the world are they doing? Like, why would they say this? Or why would they do that? Or somebody did this? Or Because I think that we need to be held accountable. We don't get a carte blanche. We don't get just free passes. And so, I mean, that's, but you're 100% right. So many people are, don't want to do that because we're all friends. And it's like, hey, we've got this little club, this fraternity, and we need to take care of our own. Pretty brutal. All right, I mean, it, it, it really is sometimes, but Hey, this is the life you and I chose. And you know, I feel like Michael Corleone. I, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> well, you have been a uh, master of, of adapting and reinvention. Like I, I, I admire that because I don't think I'd be able to do that. Like I can't picture myself doing anything else. And so you've been able to, 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 to carve out a, a really cool career beyond the sports media world. And it sounds, uh, as of the most recent example, sounds really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll never, I'll never forget telling you this because you and I, back in the day, and a lot of the other writers, we would make fun of all the TV and radio people because they would ask silly questions and they would only have to work for like three minutes and they were done. And we'd always mock them, like because we're the real reporters, <laughs> we're the real writers. And I, then I remember I, I, I got the radio jobs up here at Charlotte. And I said, remember how we always used to make fun of people, how they really didn't work in the other media outlets? And you said, yeah. And I said, yeah, it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> it's do, all true. I do, uh, I do have respect for the TV guy who, like, you know, from Columbia or Charleston who comes up by himself Mm-hmm. To a football game and has, yep. I mean, that is work. They gotta, they gotta do all that, all that walk, uh, uh, filming and, and and such, and then they gotta yep. do the press conferences and then and then do the editing and yep. all that stand up. No, but yes, yes, but I, I will say that, and I, Reggie Anderson from from Columbia. I'm not talking behind oh, his yeah. back. I I just think it was funny. I think he would laugh too. His whole shtick in press conferences is basically like, I mean, he's he's like, okay, just just give me something on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like, uh, it's like hey uh, the other uh, it's like a Trevor Lawrence passed for for six hundred yards seven touchdowns uh, uh, give me something on that <laughs> just talk about that I, I'm a I'm a big Reggie guy Reggie and I always got along I'm a big Reggie fan I like him a lot he was always a good guy because he never took himself too seriously yeah Brett Jensen hopefully the next time we 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 talk you will have had a another question answered from the governor and his and his crack staff that he has under him. Hey, I, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I'll see you again in another 14 months. <laughs> Sounds good. Take care, bud. All right. Thanks to Brett Jensen. Entertaining as always. Appreciate him taking the time to join us. Also appreciate our six very loyal sponsors for helping making the podcast happen. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting that play button. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Cheers.